What day is it today, boy? Why, tis Christmas morning. Oh. <laughs> then, then it's not too late. H here, take this Bitcoin and get me an Oculus Rift. Hi, this is Darian Bates. And this is Dr. Tobias Wilson Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots. Podcast about how we make our technology and how our technology makes us. Yeah, oh, are we there? We did it. <laughs> I think I, I know you probably thought you were listening to like the BBC or something there. Wow, but... wow, that is like masterpiece theater. I was in the National Thespian Honor Society in high school, just FYI. I, I believe you were. If any if any hungry producers are out there scouting voice talent on podcasts. <laughs> and you're looking for a more lucrative career than, than <laughs> academia and more stable, perhaps? Uh, well, I hear voice acting is, is booming these days. Um, <laughs> but but actually what I'm really talking about, and it's worth saying that this, this little... A uh, beautiful skit that I enacted about uh, Scrooge waking up and using his Bitcoin to buy an Oculus Rift. Um, I, I do want to put an asterisk on that. Uh, apparently, an HTC Vive is a, a better product, but I, I, I thought Oculus Rift would connect with our our readers as the virtual reality platform that has the most PR because it's owned by Facebook. But not. I, I like that. I like that you are. It sounds like we are like we are like trolling for. Um... Um, HTC sponsorship at the moment. <laughs> oh my goodness! If we so, get sponsored, let us back up just a second and say for those of those people who don't immediately flash to Dickens' A Christmas Carol with that little uh, speech at the beginning. So you have just quoted a Dickens' Christmas Carol to me, mm -hmm. or a Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I don't yep. know how you uh, uh, title it, and. Um, Except replacing, uh, I don't know, what was he buying? What was he buys a turkey. Buy? Yeah, he gets a, oh, goes to go and get a turkey. Right. Replacing that with an Oculus Rift. Yep. Explain. Okay, so um, I think that people people get Christmas Carol a little bit wrong. It's part of this very old genre called a morality play, the most famous one being Everyman, uh, wherein it's often sort of three parts. A person goes through three phases of life. These three phases represent the sort of maturation uh, you know, kind of obstacles, challenges, eventual fall. And then this often along the lines of, you know, you can't take it with you. Um, what does a rich man do when he recognizes that he's going to die? You know, how does this, mm -hmm. how do you confront morality uh, given, yep. given the phases of human life? Which indeed is, is right. Like Dickens just brings that whole hog into Christmas Carol um, with Scrooge seeing his own death. He sees his childhood. He sees the, the present moment extended. So mm -hmm. all, all of the present, he sees all these different parts of the world. He gets flown all over the place by these three different ghosts, one of them being St. Nick, one being death, and the other being, you know, like, a, a, you know, another, another spirit, uh, the kind of candle spirit, I guess. Um, so uh, what I thought about with that, I think where people read Christmas Carol slightly wrong is people think it's this kind of hokey moral holiday play. Um, it's worth saying it's not particularly Christian, uh, it, it has a kind of weird paganism to it. Um, yeah, that's just Christianity for you. Yeah. hey <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay, I mean yeah. can you give me a religion that has been more kind of appropriative than the Christian faith? Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, like Hinduism does have like, but its forms of appropriation seem like endemic to how it operates. But, um, but... This I'll say it's not it, it's not like Scrooge embraces Jesus at the end. Scrooge changes his consumer behavior at the end. This is actually, I think, a, an interesting update of the morality tale because it's actually about being a good consumer. Um, okay. And it changed Christmas. It's worth saying that Christmas was was a was a sort of you know B or C class holiday before uh, Christmas Carol hit at this really. Uh, Chris, for example, at this point, at the point in history when Christmas Carol wait, wait, comes wait, 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 wait. out, I'm, I, hold on just a second because we have gotten a long way into the explanation of Christmas Carol, and you still have not explained to me why the Oculus Rift. Yes. 
So the mechanism, the plot device, uh, to I guess use the, the more accessible term, that changes Scrooge's idea is these three immersive experiences. Being immersed mm. back in his own childhood, being shown his future death, and being flown all around the world. Are these virtual reality experiences? Oh. Interesting. So if I'm if I'm hearing you it, kind of the two different things you've sort of said, <laughs> and I'm gonna try to put this together, is on the one hand you have Dickens a Christmas Carol, yep. which is a a transformative, uh, transcendent experience where a man finds his better self, which involves buying turkeys. Yes, um, it, it, it rather than rather than hoarding his money. Yeah, it answers the central marketing question: How do you make a man with money spend money on something he doesn't ah, need? Ah, right. And the way that you do that ostensibly is by giving him an immersive experience that transforms his perspective, a la virtual reality. Nailed it. We're six minutes ah, in, but we are, nice. are only we now cresting. Found... <laughs> nice, nice. It has taken us longer in the past to find our theme. Yeah, that's not bad. Not much that's, longer. That's, that's a good point. That's not bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're not setting any, you know, land speed records. So so if, I, if I'm understanding kind of the, the question is, is the rise of virtual reality leading us to transformative experience and and is that a good thing like yeah. is transformation necessarily a good type of transformation right obviously in christmas carol we can really get behind scrooge going from wishing poor people into jail and poor houses to you know throwing money to a poor child to buy food for others you know right Right, um, right. When you when you when you label it as he is now more of a, an active consumer, it sounds a little bit cynical. When you say, "Well, he's consuming on behalf of people who need," that that there's there's, you know, I, I don't know. There's a whole lot objectionable about that. Right, but given given perhaps the sort of recent revelations about social media and the fact that bringing people together is does not always have the intended consequences. Um, is virtual reality an even more powerful technology that performs the kinds of things we see in the Christmas Carol? Uh, and, and is that troubling about how it will change hmm. people's behavior? Um, and what exactly is going on with virtual reality? Ah, well, it's funny you should ask. Um, while I am certainly kind of not shy at all about um, speculating wildly about things that I only have a Google level of knowledge about, <laughs> um, on this one, when you mentioned that you wanted to uh, talk about virtual reality, um, I'm actually maybe not the best person to give context on this. So instead, I have a colleague um, and a longtime friend also who runs the digital marketing agency Ignition 72, 72 as in 72 pixels or 72 DPI, um, AKA digital. Um, and uh, he's been a, he's, yeah. I would say that he is a champion of VR, and he actually has, uh, his firm um, has really been kind of on the forefront um, of starting to develop in VR, to develop application in VR for commercial purposes, custom VR coding, things like that. So I thought rather than me um, kind of Googling a few things and talking about, well, what is going on with VR, I thought I would sit down and maybe have a conversation with him. So the other day I, uh, I sat down with, um, Stefan Muirhead, the head of strategy at Ignition 72. And before that, um, I had actually, um, I intended to do about a half hour demo. And as apparently is common in VR, it turned into a two hour demo of uh, kind of some of the things that are happening right now in VR. So um, without further ado, I thought I would maybe bring the, the interview with uh, Stefan in and uh, we can listen to it. Oh, I can't wait. We're speaking here today with uh, Stefan Muirhead. Um, Stefan Muirhead, along with being a uh, great friend of mine um, and a longtime friend of mine, is also a founding principal and I guess you're the head of strategy, right? Yeah. For, head of strategy for um, Ignition 72, which is a Baltimore-based, um, I guess you could call it a digital, digital firm. I, I don't even know if you want to put marketing on there at this point. I think it's Yeah, just, no, we're a digital firm. And head of strategy means, you know, don't let them use Photoshop or a code. Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. A few years ago... Uh, I guess you got your firm to start thinking in terms of uh, virtual reality. Yes. 
and, and I sold my of, motorcycle and I bought a VR headset. Right, right. Which was it? Was it some like notable time of your life? You're like done yeah. with the motorcycle. Started. I was 41, and <laughs> I, I, I I could see how I was going to die on a motorcycle. I was on I-83. And the person driving the minivan was eating a waffle <laughs> and chasing a Pokemon. So instead you went into, like, imagine yourself being 83, dying in VR. Now, well, I've had that, right? I've said to several people, like, if I'm ever, you know, vegetative, stick me in VR and just, like, keep the programs <laughs> auto-rotating. Like, don't unplug me. All right. Um, the possibilities are there. It feels like it's been around, the concept has been around for a long time. And yet, it's only now that you're really seeing something happen with it. Like, it's yeah. actually feeling like it's Toby and I spoke about this just a little bit. It's the convergence of the maturation of multiple technologies. Mm -hmm. Screens are high-res enough, right? So your modern phones facilitated that. Getting your, your iPhone with an iris screen or a retina screen, whatever it's called, that screen is what's powering VR because that mm -hmm. screen is now a half an inch away from my eyes, and I don't notice that it's a screen. Right? Mm -hmm. So the phones made that happen. Um, CPU, regular desktop computing made that happen. That CPU up there is 10,000 times more powerful than the CPU in 1996 that controlled my Nintendo VR set. Right. Uh... right? Bandwidth, right? Everything's connected. One VR game could be 30 or 60 or 80 or 150 gigabytes of data. Right? I no longer need CDs and all this kind of pressed media. Mm -hmm. You know, the Google Earth experience that you had, that file is like 10 megabytes. Mm -hmm. Everything else is streamed directly off the internet. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, the internet is the fourth piece, right? You have this buildup of all of these assets, the 3D assets, the games, the environments, the interfaces, mm. all of that kind of stuff that we use to build off of. This isn't new. Right. This is an extension of, uh, of an evolution that's been happening since Pong, mm -hmm. right? Happened on a black and white screen. The screens keep getting better. The software keeps getting better. And now, only today, we've got what every kid that I knew wanted, which was 100 TV sets in a circle around me, so I felt like I was there. Right. Well, it's interesting. And you mentioned Pong because, you know, it's hard not to first think of this as being a gaming utility. Right, like this is like you're saying this is a natural like step forward in gaming. In it's how we learn. Hmm. We that's play. interesting. Interesting. Children, I mean, that you know, they're learning at a, at a rate that adults can't even keep up with. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, when what you're trying to do is reestablish how you walk, right? Yeah, sure, you were in a room, you could walk ten feet in any direction, but if you walked eleven feet, you walked into a wall. Right. So now you have to introduce teleportation or smooth scrolling. Now, if you just jump into the VR for the first time and you just start using smooth scrolling, the lack of G-forces when you right. move makes you nauseous. So what they're doing is they're both trying to establish a common language for how things mm -hmm. happen, but carry you, the user, along through this evolutionary process. 50 years from now, by the time you're 30, you will have been in VR a countless number of hours. Mm -hmm. But today, there's no childhood experience that can prepare you yep. for this. The interfaces are complicated. Right. None of it's intuitive. It's a little clunky. Right. Um, you know, so these are the early days. This is, this is the briefcase uh, phone. Right. Hmm. That's really interesting to think of it that way. The marketplace is being subdivided into three major areas by the three major players. Um, two and a half years ago or so, three years ago, Facebook, Facebook bought Oculus Rift. Um, Oculus Rift was founded by Palmer Luckey. He had worked in collaboration with Valve, the creators of Steam, and, and who ultimately created the base software that most VR runs off of. Mm -hmm. right? And so that is why Oculus Rift and, and Vive are very similar, even though there are some fundamental differences they are essentially the same system. They have the same resolution, the mm -hmm. same levels of tracking. They run the same software, the same games, and so forth. Oculus, however, created a walled garden. They're embracing the Apple model. If you have an Oculus Rift, you access all of their stuff through their space, which is called Oculus Home. Mm -hmm. And they want to own social. Right, right, right. Facebook wants you to put your headset on and go and hang out with all your college friends You know, at, for your virtual college reunion, which happens once a month instead right. of once every 10 years or whatever. Um, so Facebook is buying in. They bought Oculus for social. The second player is Valve. 
Valve is the company that created Steam. Steam is the largest online marketplace for buying video games. All of the video games run through Steam, and once you've bought the game, you can download it as many times as you want. It ties the social mm. connections of video games together. And so where, where Facebook is by far the biggest on social, Valve and Steam are by far the biggest in the entertainment space. Right. right? And no one's really going to challenge that anytime soon. The third space that just popped up in 2018 was the launch of three, what they're calling MR, Mixed Reality Headsets. Mm -hmm. There's one by Lenovo, there's one by Acer, there's one by LG, and Samsung just came out with the Odyssey, which is the most interesting of the four. Um, these headsets do not require the support of all the crap around you. Mm -hmm. um, the system you were just using, the Vive, has the lighthouses in the corners of the room, right? right? It has you know, a long tether cable, and you're meant to be moving around. With these mixed reality headsets, what Microsoft is doing, and Microsoft is leading that charge, is they have taken Windows 10, and you may have, you know, well, if you had Windows 10, you would have run the Fall Creators update, is what it was mm -hmm. called. That introduced VR into your operating system, and that mm -hmm. is to enable productivity. Right. Right? And right. so that game, that, that program that you got to test, that beta envelope, it's a defunct company. The product's never going anywhere. But it illustrates the potential for productivity. If I can immerse myself in a work to that degree, mm. I don't have to be in the office because the office could be anywhere. Right, right. And that's, that's interesting. I mean, I, you know, just sharing some of my experiences um, demoing it, I just came out of about, what is that, 45 minutes, an hour? An hour and a half. Oh, Jesus. Right, well, that didn't sell. So that was two hours. Was that two hours in yeah. VR? Goodness. You know, the... Coming out of it, you know, and you know, I, I demoed it one time before with you, and it was like, you know, fifteen minutes of it, and I never really kind of, really got into it. I was into it. You know, I can see, I can see so many. I can see so many different um, applications of almost like conceptual applications of it, but I don't see a lot of pragmatic applications of it. One of the things that I think about is is. At this point, we have no idea how to use VR because we haven't evolved enough to know how to use VR. It's sort of, we are a caveman holding an iPhone, right? And you're upset because I haven't, you know, done a, a, an animated GIF yet. I don't even know how to turn this thing on. Right. Um, so, you know, what I tried to do is I tried to expose you to some very specific things. One it was a direct connection to basically an infinite database of data. In Google Earth, you had access at your fingertips to petabytes of data, mm -hmm. right? You saw the detail with which you could go anywhere on Earth, right? Photographic, realistic with the Google Earth data, with the Street View database, mm -hmm. the Google Earth database, the Google Sky database, right? So that was the first thing. The second thing was jamming you in with a bunch of people, right? right? And what I think is impressive about it is the people were just like people, right? You wandered over and you were a little bit loud saying, what, these people are real? And they were like, of course we're real. Right. Well, I mean, that's, you know, if you walked up to a group of people at the mall and said, are right. these people real? Like, they'd look at you quietly and just scurry off, right? right? But they engaged you. Right, although right? they're ready for people to enter the environment sure. in, in odd ways because it's still a new environment. Yes, and they're hanging out by the door, by the way. Right. They were hanging out by the door, which is where it's meant to be. There's a cluster intentionally set up there for, to draw people there so that you, you meet people as you come in. You're never going into an empty room. Right. And the system will pump people. There's thousands of those rooms. Uh, There's never more than 12 people in any one uh, room. Ah, gotcha. So you teamed up with a group of people, and then you guys went on an adventure. Mm -hmm. And so that was a pretty sophisticated undertaking. Right. This is a company that charged $0 for all of that. Right. Right? And imagine if you applied that capability to training. Right. You bring up a really important point which I also think is something that I think is is why why a lot of people are very worried you know this the company charged you nothing right and we've we a lot of us have all become sophisticated enough to know <laughs> be picked up on this like crazy right, that if you, that if you're if something is for free you're the, you're the product right and I think that's the question that we have right now is so this whole thing is nascent right now. And I think when we entered the internet age, in general, I was just old enough to, to really be a part of meaningful dialogues around that. I think, I remember the first time I saw the internet and I went to my friend's house who downloaded a web page. And I think I was 15 at the time, 14 at the time. So, you know, I, I'm aware of what the world was like without the internet. 
but I am also very comfortable. I'm a digital native, all things considered. It's just like we came to it a little bit late, which is, you know, the, my state, my early millennial generation is one of the ways we're defined. And I remember the early internet as being this utopian fantasy of <clears throat> we can do anything. All these people starting these websites where it's like knowledge will be free to the world. I mean, and, and there's some vestiges of that, right? Wikipedia. Wikipedia is still around. Wikipedia is the ultimate early internet utopian adventure that actually lasted, right? Oh, and, but a lot of people joined that utopia. Stanford and Hartford. Right? Oh. Entire catalogs of courses you can take for free right, right. now. Right, yeah. I mean, people bought in, and it's, it's a piece, it's like a philosophical piece that still exists and still has some gravity to how the internet functions, much like the U.S. Constitution, but it doesn't seem to be held to anyone else. Well, no. no but, it, but it does feel like now the internet, going through the dot-com boom, all this money flew into the internet and all these companies and these technologies and these, these essentially permutations of the internet. Yeah. And, and now we're on the other side of that particular revolution, quote-unquote, and now we have, we have five big companies. You know, we have Google, Facebook, Apple, um, Amazon, and Microsoft. For the internet, you're saying? Yeah. It's better than cable TV. Right, exactly. Right. Right, or airlines. Right. Car manufacturers. I mean, consolidation right. is something that's happening throughout society. Right. Again, I, I think, you know, th listening to what you were just saying, I would, had one overwhelming question. Did you not get the utopia that you thought you were going to get? <laughs> it is the right. utopia. Now, is, is it a little dirty around the edges? Is it, you know, I think about it as, as, as like New York City in the 80s. Right. You know, like, like all the money that was pumped in, incredible potential, and still it was like a cesspool around you know, right. certain neighborhoods, but it was the greatest cesspool on earth. Right. Well, I, I, look, so I, is I, it not the utopia yeah. you promised? It's going to become accessible, and it's going to become accessible under the same model that you have cable TV in so many homes and cell phones in so many right. pockets. It's going to be subsidized. And what we're doing right now is, is we're working out the kinks and we're figuring out the miniaturization of this whole thing. Right? Ultimately, what we want is a pair of glasses. Mm -hmm. right? I want right. a pair of glasses. I want the Google Glass. I want, you know, there's a lot of augmented efforts. Augmented is going to lead the way to, right. to, to VR, perhaps. You have companies like Magic Leap who have received four or five hundred billion dollars in funding and they've never really produced anything. Right. They're investing in light field technology. If right. you notice any disdain in my voice, it's because I think it's baloney. Um, <laughs> but they might be right. Um, and so, you know, right now, like my wife and I joke about how in the future we're going to talk about how, yeah, no, we had a VR headset. It was like a big black box. Right. You strapped it to the front of your head and then it had a nine foot tail that ran out to a computer. Right. We're working through all of that stuff. Comcast is going to pay for it. You're going to, you know, pay for it in some other right. way. It's not going to be a three thousand dollar investment. Right. Well, but that's see, that's the thing, and like that almost makes me more nervous. It's terrifying. Like, right. The three thousand dollar investment is not terrifying. I know what I'm buying on that. In the sure. same way that I buy my phones. It's right. Like financing a car over eight years. Right. But I think the thing that we're, you know, that that I wouldn't even say the thing that worries me. I would say the thing that is potentially concerning, or what people I think when they say like Comcast is subsidizing it and then Comcast is able to get sort of net neutrality rules huh. rolled back, right? That get me upset. Right. Well, but, but, but again, that's the I point, know. right? You're on the one hand, yep. you know, we're saying, well, this will be just, just trust the big guys. They'll, everything's they'll... interconnected and one decision is going to have a snowball effect on the other. Right. But you live in Baltimore, sort of. I live in Baltimore, right? One of the things that excites me about this technology is the idea that every kid has access right. to everything. Right. Right? You have traveled well. Mm -hmm. You have a passport. Right? 99% of kids in Baltimore City do not have a passport and probably won't leave right. the country in their lives. Now, does, now the question is, is does, every get does every kid get access to everything or does every kid get access to exactly what, they want to be, what people want to sell them? So you're, devel you're started developing in VR. Yeah. You know, you st your, your firm, Ignition72, has started... Early stage kind of business use. Yeah, we want to understand, you know, how this compels education, sales, engagement, the very same things that we do on the web. Right. Right. Because if, if this is just a screen, then we already do VR. 
because we do databases mm -hmm. and we do interfaces and we do user experience. So what I wanted to see was how would that experience translate into a world where the rules are one degree off reality. Right. Well, I think what's really interesting, and we, we, we you and I, um, have talked about this before a little bit, and you know, we talked a little bit about how our our information environments, and if we if we go back all the way to um, you know books, you know, our information resources, um, paintings, books, our early media, um, all the way up into let's say VR as the next evolution are all essentially the same thing and just with a different preposition, right? You, you, you might look at a book, you might look at a, at a painting, you might go onto your computer, you might, you might, um, you are with your phone, mm -hmm. um, but you are in VR, mm -hmm. right? Your, relation, your prepositional relationship to each of those media technologies is different and even though I think a point that you've made previously, even though that the, you know, you might be presenting the same thing, particularly early on in VR, you might be presenting the exact same Google Earth. You're, you know, mm -hmm. you can do it on your screen already. I can tell after spending 15, 20 minutes flying around the planet, there is no similarity between using Google Earth on, there's, there's a fundamental difference between using Google Earth on my phone in which case I'm using it for the maps to find my way around. Yep. Using Google Earth on my computer, in which case I'm, I'm looking around and seeing if I can find, oh yeah, that's the thing, and trying to orient. Right, it's more some, transactional. Right. And in a VR headset where I am exploring and experiencing, even though it's the same thing. And, and so the one word, the magic word of VR, in my opinion, I overuse it, is immersion. Right? Like the magic word of the internet, I think, is conversion. Right, mm. get you to fill out the form, or get mm. you to you know click the slideshow, or right to get you to do an action. Right. With with VR, the the base, we're not at the point of transaction yet. For it to be valid, I need to do two things. I need to convince both your brain and your body that what you're experiencing is realistic enough. Even in this early stage, when it's mostly just experiential, e-commerce, corp, you know, like the markets will start getting involved. You know, so I think the value in VR isn't to reproduce exactly what I do today. The idea of taking everything that Amazon has and putting it in a supermarket layout right. so that I can navigate that crap. Right. Like, it's horrible. It just, yeah, right. right? It's like, do we really want to be, do we really want to live in the Amazon website? It's a supermarket it's the size gonna, of an airport. Like, right. I don't want to go there. It's not, a, it's not a beautiful website. So we need to figure out what are the things that right. are really... Like right. applicable uses of the technology. So what do you, what do you think VR is in five years, and what do you think it is in fifty years? Is an absurd question. What do you think it is in? What do you think VR would be in five years? What do you think it's going to be in fifteen years? I would say within five years, um, you know, I don't know. I would say seventy-five percent of houses that earn more than seventy-five thousand dollars have a set. Mm -hmm. Right, you're already seeing it now. The PlayStation right. Four. It'll have like that adoption curve that. of like the yeah. early gaming system. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. the people who upgrade their console. Yeah. This will be part of that cycle, and right. it'll happen pretty naturally. I think Comcast will probably get into this as well. Yep. Right, the idea that you can sit here and stare at this thing, but I'm going to take the headset and go into that room, and I'm going to watch a movie. Right. But the problem is there isn't enough content yet, so that's right. that's part of the curve. Right. Is we've got video game content. Right. We don't so much of the social content yet we don't have the libraries of movies content right. yet we don't have productivity well and movies it's really hard right because yeah. a, a movie like I'm not entirely certain that movies will ever translate to VR so a VR movie is going to be a very different construct so when I was a child uh, my favorite books came under one title choose your own adventure mm -hmm. right now try and write a book where there's 27 different endings. Right. You know, we once built a website at Ignition 72, which was a choose-your-own-adventure, although we were told we couldn't call it that, so we had to call it select-your-own-adventure. Um, and what it was was a series of 27 video... No, it was 37 video clips arranged in different orders, and you got to pick who you wanted to be, and it played the different clips so that there was a whole bunch of different endings. Mm -hmm. right? In VR, you're going to have a situation where... 
there is, you know, think of it as Clue. Remember the Clue movie, mm-hmm. right? Where there's ten different endings at the end? Yes. And depending on which yes. character you're playing, yes, so the cute. ending is completely different. Well, in VR, you're going to have a flexible story. It's not rigid. Right. I can influence the outcome. Right. And you're already seeing that storytelling in video games. Right. right. In World of Warcraft, you are one type of character. Right. You are a warrior. You are a mage. You are, right. you know, and, and you have skill sets with him, right. what you can do, and how you influence the story. Right. So what's interesting to me about this, right, is that it, and this gets to kind of a final Oh, and point. by the way, sorry, just one last thing. Ten years, and everywhere. I mean, it's just everywhere. It's in your car. I mean, right. it's everywhere. Right. And I guess the, you know, the, 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 the point you bring up about the movie thing is very interesting, though, right? <clears throat> we used to have shared experiences. Yeah. yeah. Right? We, we used to have, we used to go to the, to the, I mean, live theater. Yeah. And then we would go to the movie theater. Yep. And then we and watched then, the same 13 channels. Then we watched the, watch the same 13 channels. And now... And we all had an AOL account. Right. Even in the beginning of the internet, we all were right. in the same place. Right. And, and the question I feel like that I get to at the end of this, and I think it's a broader question about VR, is that do we lose the shared experience? And if we lose the shared experience, even as we feel we are more connected... Even as we feel we are more immersed, even as kids in Baltimore now feel like they can travel the world, is that, in fact, an illusion that benefits somebody who's paying for this in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form? Is that an illusion? Is that a... Are we, are we increasingly basically playing a bit part in somebody else's commercial enterprise, while at the same time not... no longer actually connecting to each other, really? We're connecting I, to somebody's no. so, Somali I gotta stop you. So first of all, take the headset off and go to an art museum, right? VR does not preclude your ability to continue <laughs> doing everything. Again, it's just one tool in a basket of tools. Right. What you did tonight, I think, was really interesting, was you had a bunch of isolated experiences. And then I put you into a public space, and what happened in that public space was you banded up with a bunch of strangers. Right. They showed you the ropes and took you into an actually fairly sophisticated shared experience which is called The Rise of Jumbotron. It is one of the missions inside Rec Room, and it is a story. And if you get to the end, you get prizes and you get accolades, and you and those six people that you played with, you just created art. You just created a shared experience. It's only amongst the six of you, right? But you did the same thing that you did when you were 9 or 12 or 14, when you and your friends got on your 10-speed bikes and you ran out into the woods and your imagination kind of went crazy. It is much less structured. It is much less shared except for the six people you're with right right but and so this is where this is where i feel like there's this tension not just for me but i think and it is i think this question around vr because yes we did we we collaborated together like it was really that was a really interesting experience for me i think more so than i think the google earth was a was a yeah massive amounts of data right. right and kind of like wow like wow this is how big the earth is um and yet you know also like i have this weird combination of them very small and very powerful relative to the earth that when ex- you said are these real people and they answered yeah we're real people right right exactly <laughs> and you're like oh okay so this is a real experience and with real people I'm involved in so yeah it does feel very like wow we could do anything except we can't except it is actually Except it is, in fact, the walls are very set. The illusion of, I think, video games in general, not just VR, the illusion of video games is the freedom to explore. And the reality of it is all within the confines of the rules that we have set, right? And when I go explore in the woods, when I go run off in the woods, I, I, it'd be better that I do follow the rules. It's better that I don't go too far. My mother mm-hmm. says, don't go too far. My mother said, stay within this. Come back when I ring the dinner bell. Whatever the, you know, that experience was for me growing up. But I didn't have to. And I could... No, I didn't have to wait for someone to program the ground for me to be able to pick it up. I could, you know, I could dig a hole. I could climb a tree. I could run away. And, and it's good that I didn't run away. It's good that I don't climb a tree and fall. It's... It's a safe, it's a safer environment inside, as, as, as risky as it felt a little bit personally, like I was carrying your credibility, I, you know, your, you know, I was trying, I was, I was 
being you as a, carrying your avatar. You were being Sergeant Carrot. I was being right, Sergeant Carrot. You're, um, but I do get to the end of it saying, "Wow, that was so flexible and so explorative," and behind those walls, it was very Truman Show like in that it felt like real. It felt the infinite exploration as long as you don't realize that if you ride that ship. 10 yards further, that's it. Well, and so some people are trying to solve that problem. And, and all of the problems in VR are being solved in, in common video games first. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I didn't get to demo for you is something called Fallout 4, right? Different games have different angles, right? So the, the table tennis game is really fast and it's, it makes you sweat, right? Fallout 4 is a world, right? And it's a much like Google Earth world. Right? You are basically in Massachusetts. You have the state of Massachusetts at your disposal. You can walk anywhere you want. Eventually, and later in the game, I think you can fly. But you are limited by the fact that you have to walk. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you can teleport also later in the game, but only to places you've been to before, because it really sucks having to walk you know, right. that way. The game has, I think, seven different factions. Factions are ways you can play the game or win the game. They're basically groups of people with certain behavior types. What I need to do in the game is not defined. Right. There is no manual. Right? right. What I can do is I can build myself a village. I can go out and recruit people. We can create farms and crops. You know, what we're seeing is, is that the nascent development of the VR environment is following a common path to the nascent development of society outside of VR. We're trying to figure out how these pieces all work together. And some of the most successful games, I mean, really? Did I seriously just go into VR so I could be a farmer, right? Like virtual farming? That's what we're, I might as well be a virtual buggy whip maker. That's not Mm -hmm. the point though. The point is, is that at this stage, everyone who participates in VR is, you know, uh, 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 a test pilot. Mm-hmm. Right? right, and they are yes, absolutely. They are studying us. They're trying to figure it out. You know, one of the reasons I don't have an Oculus is because the Oculus sensors are cameras. In theory, Facebook and Oculus have three running cameras in your room, filming you every second you are in VR. Mm-hmm. Right, this Vive is a dumb system. They may be able to get positioning data, but there's no pictures. Right, right, and so you know. We're learning, we're figuring it out, we're testing it. If it doesn't work, great, we just learned something. Right. Right? If you throw up, great, let's figure out why. Right. Um, but no, to judge this today is to look at a Model T and go, eh, that's not for- that's no Porsche. Right. Right? Because, right. yeah, the Model T was garbage. Right. And yet at the same time, it was enough, it was enough to lead to, I mean, you could say it's enough to lead to this breakthrough in transportation. And it's enough to lead to also the possibility of cataclysmic climate change, right? Like, you, you, you think about the sure. invention of the car, and we can now live, the level of flexibility in where we can live, you know, my brother and I can see each other, he's in Atlanta, yeah. I'm here in Baltimore, my, my mother could drive back and forth to be with her grand, grandchildren. And that's the societal question. Right. That's why VR isn't actually an answer to anything no, but it's it can be formative. I mean, it's you know we talk about this podcast as being about how we make our technology, but also how our technology makes us. Mm-hmm. And if if it is in every household, in the in every household that can buy that can buy a, a television now, which yeah. is essentially everybody now, um, it does start affecting us. It does start changing us. Right. It does. It does have a gravity to it that changes social structure. It's not a mirror. Like, I think, I think it's a cop-out to say that it's a mirror. I, I think it's a... It shrinks everything. Right. It makes things very accessible. Right. Good and bad things. Are you optimistic about VR? I've been optimistic about VR since 1989 when I read uh, Neuromancer by William Gibson and Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Mm. I'm going to hand you these books right here. Take them. Read at least one of them. Try it. Uh, it's on paper. It's, it's bound to glue. I don't, I don't read anything on paper anymore. What? My <laughs> God. Uh, um, yeah, no, I will absolutely read it. No, it has failed so many times. I have been to video game arcades that had you know, line art VR where there's no substance to it, but you could just see the outlines of things, and that made me throw up. You know, I played with the Nintendo VR. That was horrible. Like, it, it is a convergence of the technology. It is now possible. It is now real. What we as a society do with it, 
who knows? Right. You know, I mean, you could you could you could use VR to control robots. You could yeah. use VR to you know perform brain surgery. You know, one of the things that they're doing is medical applications for this technology just tie right into the existing data sets that they're pulling from hospitals today. You get an MRI, they can bring that MRI so that you can climb into the person's body and you can explore how their heart works and the heart is eight feet wide by 15 right. feet high. And all the machine, and then you're controlling the machine when you do the surgery in the way they do now, right? You do, now you have this right. robot-assisted surgery where you're using it, but it's... It's micro-reacting to yeah. it. So it's Imagine if you know, I move my hand one inch, it's actually 0.001 millimeters because I am a fraction of the right. size yeah. you know, that the heart is. So for everything that is bad and potentially bad, there is also that good and potentially good. Um, but I am incredibly hopeful because I believe in humanity and, and I think that we will do good things with this tech. And I want to be on that side. So right. what I can do and, and what I've always tried to do is, is expose people to it. Because you can have an opinion about VR, but until you've tried this, high quality, well done VR, your opinion is uninformed. Right. And nobody of the, I would say, 600 people that I've done demos for has been, eh, this is garbage. Right. Actually, it's what's funny to me about the reactions to VR now is that I actually don't think people are thinking it's garbage. I actually think they're the opposite way, which I think people are concerned. I think they. I think people are. I think people, in some ways, it's like it's like AI. People are far more concerned about AI as if it's. Oh, people are concerned about AI as if it was far more mature than it is. Mm -hmm. Like AI, it's just it's just, for lack of you know, it's it's just. Right. So if you're scared of AI, you should talk to Google Home or right. Alexa or Siri, and that will convince you that they're, we're a ways away from <laughs> Siri taking <laughs> over the exactly. world. You, you know, can't even pull up Google. If you're concerned mm. about virtual reality, go to ignition72.com and get in touch, and we will hook up a demo for you because it is immensely wonderful. It has immense possibilities, and we want to share that with people. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. And I, uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, tomorrow at work or in the hollow suite. <laughs> yeah, oh, in the hollow <laughs> suite, yeah. <laughs> All right, take care. All right. So, um, yeah, well, that is definitely more than um, I probably could have uh, given, I think, in any period of time on VR. I felt um, virtually immersed in his intelligence. <laughs> He is certainly an immersive uh, communicator, <laughs> I would say. He is, uh, um, but I, you know, I, 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 look, I love Stefan. Stefan is is someone um, who you can. His passion is is infectious, mm -hmm. um, and and it's interesting. You know, I, I knew Stefan. I've known him for a long time. I actually um, I got my start in the in the marketing world working at an ad agency where he was actually my uh, direct supervisor and um, you know he, he's he's always been a passionate um, advocate for kind of a, a progressive forward-thinking approach particularly to technology mm -hmm. and so I think around kind of this I think VR is a really is a really great space for him to be in I think it gives him a lot of these 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 conceptual frameworks that he can work within, and these at the same time it's technology and it's there's commercial application and there's he's he, you know he's he's been a passionate gamer. Um, I don't think I'm sharing too much about his life uh, about that as well. And I think it, <laughs> yeah. it, it dovetails. It's with safe all these to things. say when you say like virtual reality, I, I believe that's the population that's sort of driving the technology at the moment. Right, right. No, and I and and I think. Um, you know, I love his comment about the fact, you know, when I was asking him about, well, so it's just being used for games right now. Like, and his point that, well, but that's how we learn. Play is how we learn. Hmm. Play is how we evolve things. So this idea that, um, that, that the idea that the application of early VR work is being done in games, which is often being used to kind of dismiss it as being unserious, is in fact kind of where we're really discovering the the nature of the technology and the and the applications of the te technology and the potential of it. But let's you know let's let's talk a little bit about kind of what we what we think coming out of this. So if your question is, you know, 
is VR this transformative experience? Is it going to change people? Um, and and how? And is it good? I mean, is it is it is it a positive yeah, thing? Yeah, I'd, I'd shrink all of that after hearing that interview. Uh, I mean, granted, this was sort of the premise that I came in with, but I, I think very much so. Yes, let's right. let's put that the pin in that and say yes, VR right. can change people for all the for all the wonderful and, and horrible, uh, for all the scary and exciting versions of that phrase. VR can change people. Yes. Is that apocalypse or utopia? Right. Right. Oh, we're going into apocalypse or utopia already. (laughs) I figured, like, let's treat that last thing as the context. uh, All right. And then let's just kick into this, uh, you know, Dickens style, three-part this thing. Oh, well, all right. Well, then, well, hold on a second. (laughs) All right. I I have to, like, hold, like, the table as our explosion goes off. So to, to, I think, build on what you just said um, and to give a little context um, from my own demoing of um, VR that, that Stefan took me through, I mean, I, I did, he took me through four um, different kind of experiences. And those four experiences were um, Google Earth, which Google Earth and VR is a revelation. Um, I mean, you can, like, move around the planet. You fly back. You can move the planet around. You can zoom into it. You can suddenly be standing street view, looking around. It's it. It's somehow you feel simultaneously how big the world is relative to you and also how big you can, how, power, how empowered you can be in that enormous world. So yeah. it's, Which, it kind of gives you it's this. It's worth saying this, this is what, the Saint Nick character does in Christmas Carol, right? He actually right. he takes uh, he takes Scrooge all over the world, inside of houses, outside of houses, to lighthouses, yep. to coal miners, to that like, and this like this global perspective, this like kind of like early iteration of of a kind of uh, globalism as a concept. One, it's so interesting to think about Santa Claus that way, um, mm. right? Because like N- NORAD tracks him in this kind of stuff. Like this is a meaningful yep. part of his mythos. Is the sort of everywhere panoptic. Have you been bad or good? Being, um, but two, yeah, this is one of the immersive experiences that that Dickens triangulates as being really experience, really important for consumer behavior. And and right. just to give you some context on Dickens, he was somebody who was constantly posing. He was a he was a great philanthropist locally, but he he was always posing it in this really like really sort of uh, Britain first way of right. We need to stop helping people in Boreabola Ba. Uh, mm-hmm. And instead, help our poor people in the streets. So, but you yes. you need to have that kind of global split to make that decision. Yep. Yep. So yeah, no, that's I. I mean that that dovetails you know rather spectacularly with this. So so right. So I have this experience of 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 essentially floating above the earth, going anywhere I want, going to London where I studied, going to Baltimore where you and I shared an apartment at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, just just traveling the world being in a like you know moving down a midwest highway at night um it's just kind of these these really interesting um experiences that feel uh fairly fairly well i mean immersive <laughs> so then the second experience was going to play go to this this thing called rec room which is this social gaming experience where you go into this place where people are just hanging out um I made the some the faux pas of walking into the rec room had, with my mic on, and uh, Stefan saying, um, and he's talking to me meanwhile while I'm in the room, and he's like, "Oh yeah, c- come on, introduce yourself." And I'm like, "Oh, are these real people? Are these real people?" <laughs> Everyone, it's like it's like the if no, you're on like the street. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and so then you know we go in and we do a, like a first person shooter type game for at like shooting at toasters or something and um, animated toasters. And, um, you know, my experience on that was, wow, I'm in people's lives. And it is, it was, the, you know, the game was, was uh, well, I will say, by the way, that I, I like, I don't like playing video games. Because yeah. I'm really bad with controllers and all that. 
I actually, I, I think I'd be much better at VR video games than I'm actually ahead at regular video games. Not that um, we, not that we need actually... to go down this road, but this would be like the Ghost of Christmas Past, who takes you back to your childhood and playing oh. games. Exactly. Well, so, so, but the other thing I feel with that group is I feel this intense social um, responsibility. Like, I can't, I'm like, how do I get out of this game? I like, I couldn't leave the game because we were, you know, if, if once all of you die, like if one dies, you can go wake the, somebody can come wake you up. But if everyone dies, the game's over and then you don't get the points or whatever. And so suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't leave this game. Like, I have a social obligation to these people. And I was also told by Stefan that, um, you know, that my ranking and my credit, like, is, is viewable. Like people can and people can dock me points if I like abandon people and I. This is am this is so funny. Like this is like Christmas Carol because like what what Scrooge does is he goes and he sees his cousin talking about him, right? And like he suddenly realizes that there's this scorekeeping that's going on and people talk about him right. when he's not there and there's he has certain kinds of like a low a low sort of social credit score if you will in the community right. and stuff like this and it becomes visible to him suddenly. Right. And so I feel intensely like like I end up playing a game. I was I was expecting just to view this thing. I, I, I can't leave this room for like half an hour <laughs> because I feel socially awkward. And me with my particularly sort of British social awkwardness yeah. in terms of like, like, feeling obliged. Ghost, ghost, don't show me anymore. I've seen enough. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so th um, then the 30 place it takes me to is to this kind of futuristic city where I can, you know, step off this plank and just fly, right? And I can just, I can soar above things. I can turn off these rocket boosters and sort of fall and then lift myself back up. At one point, I allow myself to fall and, and uh, you know, crash to the earth. And, and I... Oh my goodness, the, that's, that's the ghost of Christmas future. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you saw your own death. I did, and you're in white. If you hit the earth, and it's just, everything goes white and stays like blank and white, it's almost like you know, there's nothing there around you. It's silent. It's white. Everything for like ten seconds, and then it, you know, lets you back onto the, into the earth. You you are reincarnated. Um, and then the the fourth one, and maybe it's not particularly appropriate talking about it, the fourth one was, um, the very kind of a prototype. Um, of how people are starting to do, to use photography to do, to get as close as possible to essentially VR pornography. <laughs> and it is that that's not in Christmas Carol. I, I you, you, got right. me, you, you got me there. <laughs> right. No, but, but I, you know, I think you know when I was talking with Stefan about what are the different things that are really worth looking at. You know, one of the biggest things that is happening in VR, one of the biggest drivers of VR, and one of the biggest drivers of VR that is not a big company, is the, the porn industry, which is actually made up of a lot of small companies and that are all looking to essentially innovate pornography using VR. Hmm. And So it's like Strange Days. So the, Have you seen that one, the Catherine Bigelow movie? I have not. Okay, well, don't worry about it then. But what's interesting about it is is how alien it was. And again, this is a very rough. This was a very rough sort of proof of concept idea. Um, nothing animated, nothing that. It was just basically trying to figure out how to create these three D worlds. Um, you know, and it and it was is very. It was it was a bit uncomfortable, but you also, <laughs> but it was also. It is, I think, worth thinking about when we're talking about is this transformative and is this redemptive and is this is this compelling us into a, a, a greater future or is this leading us into greater isolation? Hmm. Is this is this separating us from society rather than having this shared social experience? We are now isolating ourselves off in rooms and we're not even having real relationships any, anymore. We're having these fabricated. Um, you know, sexual experiences that are right. not right. Which and, is which so is I the think... inverse of the Scrooge mythology that right. like that exactly he would actually want to be more of a community having had these virtual experiences as opposed to isolating himself. Right. 
and this is this is the reason why I think maybe you know, and and st- we talk about a little. I talk about a little with Stefan, but this question of does it make us? Does it give us more social commitment? Does it open us to society, or does it isolate us? And we're already talking about this idea of social media creates bubbles. We used to go to live theater, then we went to the movie theater to sit in the dark and look forward, and now we stay in our own home and watch on our big screen, and then we go to our computers, and then we go to our mobile phones, and then we go to our VR sets, and the next thing you know, we, we never leave our, we, beyond never leaving the house, we never leave our bed. We never leave our room, right? At, at, at what point um, does the immersive experience trap us, right? And so... I see how you no, snuck this context into our apocalypse utopia segment. I know. I, 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 <laughs> well, I, now now I've demoed something for two hours. I have all the context I need. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so all that being said, um, yeah, I got that in after the apocalypse utopia explosion. <laughs> um, yeah. Do I think? Do I think that VR is leading us towards apocalypse? Or utopia. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you for uh, reiterating. You might have forgotten yeah, so, at this point. I know. I did sort of go on. Um, you know, I I think it's tough because I do think there's a real... I came out of that experience feeling changed. Yeah. Feeling like the world felt different. Like, like I didn't feel like I, I I felt like I and so maybe potentially empowered in some ways like physics was overcomable now um, finally I know we've been battling that for a while <laughs> Newton um, uh, yeah he invented physics right yeah um, he Still invented gravity yep right um, and on the other hand it felt like felt a little like wow i could just disappear into that world and i could have like you know i i don't need to go anywhere else right so i it feels it feels like it grabs you in a way that nothing has ever grabbed you grabbed me before from a media perspective Mm -hmm. Um, and i and i get lost in books and i get you know can get lost in a good movie Um, but this feels um different so I guess in that, even that being said, even with, I think, the risks that I think are real about, I think, people kind of getting lost in this, um, I, I feel like the, it, I have to sort of see it as a, as a positive and probably a really something like this, which I feel like, and as Stefan says, is going to be everywhere at some point. Um, it's going to be a profound impact. So I don't think you can give it a low number, like 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 a medium number, like a like a six or a four or something. I feel like you have to, like in my opinion, you have to kind of push it towards the outskirts of something. And so I'm going to say I'm going to say an eight. That it's probably going to be oh. transformative for the positive. I think it will allow us to experience more. To to you know, Freud has this idea that. You know, we have a limited amount of empathy for people and that we can't expand our empathy beyond kind of a certain circle of people that we just don't have the capacity to. Um, but when I think about the fact that during World War II, we thought Japanese people ate babies and they thought we <laughs> ate babies, right? Like there was this kind of like we, we, we believed each other possible, you know, capable of barbarities. And, and now now I don't think very many people would really believe that the Japanese are capable of, as a culture, capable of eating babies. There may be one or two that do it um, in the same way that the you know, Americans are also fully capable of that. Um, I think this expands our ability to connect even more broadly and even more empathetic ways and even more profound ways. And that's why I think I'm, I'm giving it a an asterisk eight in that... I could see it being, if we think our phones are addictive, I just can't imagine what this might be. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I, you 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 were kind of ducking and moving there. I wasn't sure which way I you were going to go. That's right. Well, when you start when you start our apocalypse utopia a little early, I, uh, <laughs> I, I'm like trying to like pretend like I'm trying to answer it while still slipping in context. Right, right. Got to kind of tap dance your way through the next 15 minutes of, of deciding on a number. Right, exactly, because that's that's what that's what our fans are calling out for. More context from Darian. Yeah, <laughs> our fan. Yeah, we we've been starting to get some feedback from fans. Um, so I, yeah, I I think I I may have gone a little bit too ivory tower. Um, oh yes, uh, I think uh, I think virtually unintelligible was uh, was, was <laughs> comment from somebody. Yeah, I got I got some feedback from mom that maybe I don't need to use uh, quite the level of of words that I'm using, and that maybe when I say an idea, I should return to it sometimes. But then we won't believe that you're educated, <laughs> right? And that's pretty much my role here. So right, exactly. You got to play your character. Yes, yes, precisely. Um, I'm gonna say a two. Ooh, let's let's ooh. go the yeah yeah. You're an eight. I'm I'm gonna go the other way a little bit. And I, I, I for me, part of what's really interesting about a story like a, a book, right? Like I can I can come at Christmas Carol and be like, this is just about consumer behavior and someone understanding globalism and becoming somebody who can participate in a certain kind of capitalist Christmas experience. And indeed, around this time, and partially because of this story, Christmas starts to pivot towards this like more intensely consumer behavior that like pretty much everyone can bemoan at this point in some way right. or another. Um, even while, you know, obviously in, in other ways, Christmas is all kinds of interesting things and uh, it's kind of hodgepodge. So um, it sounds like you're saying that Dickens both created Christmas <laughs> and also created the war that the war on Christmas is being f fought against. That's exactly right. Wait. That's exactly right. He sets up the conversation. He sets up the discourse because it's like before that Christmas was just kind of placeholder. Boxing Day was actually a more important holiday. Um, hmm. And it's almost like... You know, it's almost like this sort of, he, he sets up this fight and the fight is so entertaining and, and so intriguing and so people feel so personally connected to it that it that you're like, well, I'm on this side. And you're like, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're all inside my virtual reality. Um, right. But that being said, I joke about that, but a book isn't virtual reality. A book, uh, I can put my interpretation on it. Someone else can come along and be like, no, you're full of crap. Like, this actually has a lot more to do with another thing. This is George Orwell's reading of Dickens. He said Dickens, ultimately, the, the, the ultimate message of Dickens, um, his ultimate imperative is to beg people to be decent to each other. Um, mm -hmm. And as a politics, perhaps that is the best way. Um and, and so you're like, well, okay, well, that's, you know, we can, we can each come, we can read this thing, we can interpret in all these different ways. And part of why that works, I think, is because of how the technology of text works, which is you come, the text gives you like a little fragment of information, and then you build it, all the rest of the information off of that. For example, you say, mm -hmm. you read a book, you say she was the most beautiful person he'd ever seen, or he was the most beautiful uh, thing and then in your head you you see your most beautiful like it's not necessarily mm -hmm. a version of beauty impressed on you although certainly that can happen sometimes um, what I worry about with virtual reality is that this is actually a reality built by someone else or some other corporation that then is makes wraps all the way around you know in, in exactly mm -hmm. the same way that it changes Scrooge it wraps completely around his subjectivity and in doing that is able to sort of transform him from one form of person into another form of person. Um, and, and that worries me, you know, mm. that, uh, that so worries me a lot. This idea, this idea of kind of a, both a comprehensive and commercialized transformation. Yeah, yeah. And given the, the expense and speed of the technologies involved, only the, the very well-off kind of, have access to the real controls of this game, in my mind. Mm. What do you as they have access to the controls of like by owning the game systems themselves? I mean, I think one of the things that was interesting that Stefan was talking about is the increased, what will likely be the increased, increasingly accessible price point of these systems. But right. you're suggesting that it, it's, it's not whether the systems are accessible, it's whether they are, whether the control is accessible. 
Yeah, whether the sort of and and it's worth saying, and I say it too. Maybe maybe it too. I'll I'll put an asterisk next to mine as well because um, there are obviously, and uh, I also spoke to Stefan briefly. There 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 are obviously other things at play. Like Facebook is trying to take the development of this technology and its and its progression in one direction, and then like Steam is trying to take it in another direction. So. Like, right. it's a little disingenuous to say two or eight right now. I think that's why we're both equivocating a little. Um, because some of the stuff is just really being adjudicated by the communities that are right. building it right now. Right. I think, I mean, one of the things that Stefan and I talked about was this idea that when the Internet was created, and not when it was created, so much when it was commercially um, accessible, you know, pre-dot-com bubble, there were so many different sites and services and utilities and there's players were everywhere right like mm-hmm. there, nothing had really been consolidated and after the dot-com bubble and in this you know the ensuing kind of consolidation in the market you know we do have essentially five players yeah right and the idea that that, that could w- maybe will happen in vr at some point um for the vast majority of people, like you can, you might be able to do something very custom and very, you know, you know, have your own system or work with a boutique boutique developer of something. But in the same way that people build their own websites, but still most people go to Facebook or Google or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't seem out of. It seems fairly likely that there will be, assuming it becomes a commercially enormous thing, which I can't imagine that it doesn't um, at some point um, that there will be consolidation in the market and that at some point there will be sort of major players and major producers and you can imagine places like Disney essentially becoming you know kind of owning that world or if it's not Disney an- another provider if it's not Disney and it's not Google a-, a-, a company we don't even know about yet which springs up and is a plucky startup only to be you know the next Google 15 years from now. Yeah. It's interesting. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I have to admit a certain amount of discomfort with that too. I think the, the argument that I guess can be made is that companies at their best are always going to be responding to kind of the genuine demands of the, the market. Yeah. But is it, is it possible to to shape shape those demands? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's, that's the one of the interesting underlying questions of Christmas Carol. You know, how do you shape mm. how do you shape desire? You know, right, right. That's very interesting. Um, and I don't I don't know have an I I don't totally have an answer for you. I think um, you know I I don't think I can come to a uh, I don't think I'm going to be the one that's going to answer this particular question. Oh. Um, or that or that it is answerable right now. Yeah, man. Um, well, I, I think if we just keep our ear to the ground, there'll probably be some smart tech podcast out there somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> just just look for them. Just yeah. Look for them. Yeah. Stop stop listening to our crap. And <laughs> right. Exactly. Comment on our feed. Tell us where to go. Where yeah. we can go find out about this stuff. Um, cool. Well, uh, hopefully hopefully moderately satisfying. I think Stefan did a lot more for this podcast than we've ever done for it. Yeah. And he's a, uh, he is a great man. oh man all right all right well i will uh i'll talk to you next week all right talk to you later man all right love you love you too bye bye